The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. All right. Welcome, Heritage family. (laughs) It's great to be joining you in your very living room this morning. Um, We have the wonderful privilege of having Don and Katie Baldrico with us this morning. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, Before we get to introductions, I have a couple of announcements for you. Everything is canceled. (laughs) So there's no announcements. (laughs) I'm kidding. No, uh, a lot of our stuff is canceled, obviously. However, um, if you got our email this, uh, this last week, as well as checking our website, we've got a lot of different, um, information for you that I think would be helpful. There's, uh, a lot of different like Facebook groups for the ladies. Uh, we're posting to social media, uh, kind of live devotionals, uh, a couple of times a week. So we're really excited about that. We're just trying to get creative with how we interact with each other as this is just such a unprecedented and different time um, of doing ministry and doing life together. But um, anyway, so check out those resources. Uh, We've got all kind of up-to-date information there as well as for this service. uh, There was some resources that Pastor Brent and Heather sent out um, that helped the the kiddos just kind of engage with us uh, during the course of the service as well. So make sure to check that out. Social media, we were hoping that uh, as you guys are having your own home churches this morning, that you guys could just snap a picture of you and your family watching the service live right now and maybe post it to our social media page. Uh, Just kind of a fun way. We were joking as a staff this last week. um, Last Sunday, we had, I think, 130-something people hop on and join us live. And uh, we were like, hey, this is awesome. Like the gospel's going out. We planted 130 home churches this last Sunday uh, for the first time. We had a satellite campus in the hub. (laughs) Nobody was there, but it was uh, still, this is funny. So anyway, um, even though it is different, uh, this is is still a great opportunity to get to engage with one another uh, and to get to hear the word. So we're really excited to get to do that this morning. As I mentioned, uh, for those of you who may not recognize, this is Don and Katie Baldrica. Um, they've been here at Heritage for a little over a year now, um, but have been in ministry for over 31 years. And uh, let's see, Don, you were born and raised in Portland, right. Oregon. You have a Master's of Divinity as well as a Bachelor's in Business. And you guys have three kids, you know, Owen... Uh, Luke and Hope, right? And um, man, you guys have been inviting at least my family over to your guys' house for (laughs) months now. We just haven't been able to make it happen. So uh, literally, I get to join you in your living room as well as everybody else gets to join with us uh, in this time. So um, that's a little bit about about you guys. Uh, You guys have been uh, married since 1987. Um, Don, we're going to hear from you a lot. A lot, yeah. So... Katie, I'd love to hear a little bit more just about your family and life and ministry. Yeah. So, um, as Aaron said, we have three children, and our youngest, our youngest is our daughter Hope. She's uh, 22 and living with us now for a little bit. She's kind of transitioning between things and doing great. Just finished college. So, um, and then our next son, Luke, he lives in Texas with his wife Krista. And they have a uh, little Dean and then one on the way in, in July. So we're excited about that. We hope we get to go see them 
you know, things will be lifted and we can go see the baby. Um, and then Owen and Jessica, Owen's our oldest son, they live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and they have Charlie and Ella. And so they're busy. Ever, the men are working from home and it's lively with the children. <laughs> so they're trying to make all that work. That's awesome. Yeah. Very good. And if you can just share one more thing with us, uh, what <clears throat> what has helped you in ministry and in raising kids as you guys have been in ministry for, for a long time? Yeah. Um, uh, I think I'll do the raising kids part first. I think for us, we really felt like it was a team. Uh, it was a it wasn't my job to raise the kids and Don's job to go to church and do ministry. So I always felt like it was a great team. Um, and I remember when the kids were little, I would try to have their first nap of the day be the time for my devotions. And then as I had more children, they got harder and harder. But I really think the key for me was keeping the Lord first. And I don't think I always did perfect at that, but that was my heart and for them to see that. Um, I guess another thing that really helped me was I had a team of women around me. You know, some were single, some were married, some were uh, uh, widowed. Uh, but I always had a team of people that loved the Lord and kind of helped me keep my sanity in being a mom because it's, it's a lot of challenging times sometimes. It's great. There's so many good things about it, but it's challenging, too, in our culture. So that really helped me it was a team of women who love the Lord and they were pouring into me, and I was pouring into them. So that was wonderful, yeah. And I would say in ministry, um, I had lots of different roles in the church over the years. But I think, again, everything I could do was because Don was supportive of that. He, he helped me be a better person in terms of what I gave back to my church family. And we had a great church that didn't put a lot of expectations on me as a pastor's wife. And I really appreciate that about Heritage, that they're very, you know, you're married to the pastor. It's not like you have to do this and this and this. And our church was that way as well. So I just operated out of my gifting. I'm an encourager. I'm a teacher. And I was allowed to do those things in ministry. And that really made it um, special, our time and then pastor it. So, yeah, I guess that's how I'd answer. It's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. So we just we have a wonderful opportunity. Again, this is not our <laughs> traditional service, but um, but we just we wanted to kind of just make it casual and make it personable. Um, so, Don, I'm going to, at this point, uh, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to turn it over to you to share the word from Acts with us this morning. Thank you guys so much for being yeah. here. And if I can just say, too, um, you guys have been such a blessing to our church mm -hmm. and to our leadership in particular. I know I can speak for all of the, the pastoral staff when I say that, um, man, you guys have just been mm -hmm. such an encouragement. I think particularly knowing uh, what ministry is like, uh, getting the texts on the morning when you're teaching from Dawn saying, hey, we're just, we're praying for you. Um, looking through this passage, this is what I saw, praying that the Lord would, would speak through you, which just has been such a blessing. And whether you guys know it or not, the Holy Spirit has been using that encouragement through this uh, just kind of different time for us as a church. So I just personally want to thank you guys for, for your service to the Lord and being faithful in those ways. So uh, let's pray, and then, uh, and then we'll hear from the Lord. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Um, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather, even though gathering may, may not be done in the same way, uh, in the same format, 
the same feel even as normal. But I thank you in the midst of all of this change that you do not change. Thank you that you remain consistent, that you remain the same. God, we are so grateful for that. So would you anchor us this morning in your word? In the midst of all the turmoil and change and uncertainty, we ask that you would bring us back. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And now we just offer this time into your hands. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Well, I wanted to start off with a funny little story. First, I thank you, Mitch, for leading us in worship. I thought you did a great job. Mitch is so funny. He's, he was running around, kind of pumped up, getting himself pumped up, trying to relax at the same time. And you did a great job, Mitch. And I asked him to sit out there so I kind of have someone to look at rather than just an unresponsive camera. Um, so I wanted to start off with a little funny story. Um, you may be saying, well, how come we're bringing someone new in here on this day? Um, this was set up uh, probably about a month ago with Jeremy. Jeremy's over there. You can't see him. Um, when they were talking about how you can help out in ministry, help out in the church in these times of the transition the church is going through, um, they had asked me, would you be willing to fill in a pulpit supply at some time? And I said, I prayed about it. I said, yeah, I think I could do that. And so it was about three or four weeks ago, Jeremy contact me about dates, and this date is the date that uh, the first time I would do that, and so I agreed to that, and then the coronavirus hits, and I'm thinking, wow, what's going to happen now, and last week, <laughs> where there's just a few of us, I'm thinking, now they're shutting down everything, I didn't know what's going to happen, so Jerry contacts me and lets me know, hey, we're going to do this home Bible study kind of thing, and it's like, I don't want to be here by myself, so I at least have someone <laughs> up here, so Aaron and Katie are up here, which is good, so I have some faces to look at, and so we're, he says, let's go through, uh, Jeremy asks on the phone, let's go through your outline and just your points, and, and so we go through that, and he said, we just want to make this like a home uh, home Bible study, kind of feel relaxed, uh, not formal at all, which is, this is great. Okay, that sounds good. Used to, we used to do a group in our home for many years. So I'm saying that's great. So we go through all that, and then Jeremy goes, well, you know, have you thought about how historic this Sunday is going to be? <laughs> Never before in the history of the world has this happened, and you're going to be the guy who's doing the first time ever and I'm going, no pressure. okay, great. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. I was relaxed about a home Bible study. Now there's this historic event I'm doing so that everyone's going to remember. Uh, so I appreciate Aaron praying. I was going to pray right now too, but Aaron prayed, so I think we're okay. Uh, so the nice thing about the live stream is, as we mentioned, none of you had to do anything to get ready. Some of you maybe are still in bed watching on your phone, maybe some around the kitchen table, maybe some are in the living room. And, uh, and Jeremy said, it doesn't matter how long it takes because no one, they can just turn you off when they're done. <laughs> so hopefully we won't go too long tonight to this morning. Uh, so I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Acts 19. We're going to be picking up on verse 11. It's so funny last week because this is a passage Jeremy told me a month ago I'll be doing. And then when he did his sermon last week, it's like, you didn't even get to chapter 19 yet. So I said, I'm not going back. I'm going with 19, 11 where I said I was going to be. So... Uh, so you have turned there to 19, uh, Acts 19, verse 11. Last week, Jeremy looked at Acts 18, and he talked about how fear affects us. And instead of being a fearful people, like much of the world is right now, we need to be p people that are focused on God, that see this as an opportunity that God can give us to minister to others who are fearful, 
to let people know of the joy and the hope that we have in the Lord because as believers, we know that our days have been already determined by God. Uh, it's not gonna be determined by the virus. God knows how long we're gonna be here and we know where we're going. And so because of that, we want to be able to exude or just kind of have the presence and the calmness about us because of who we are in Christ. And God may give us opportunities to share and talk about the hope that we have in Christ. And I so appreciated uh, Jeremy sharing that. Um, he gave us a biology lesson on the, on the brain that I could not follow, um, uh, but that's okay. I'm just, I was just a business major. Um, so now, Acts 19. What I love about this passage in Acts 19 that we're going to be looking at is that it starts off in verse 11, pointing us in the right direction by making it clear who is the main character, who is the hero, who is the one we need to keep our focus upon. Uh, look at, with me at the first four words. I'm using the ESV translation. And the first four words says this, and God was doing. God was at work. He was the one who was doing. How much do we need to be reminded of this today? Mm. That God is still doing. He's still working. Amidst all the news we hear about the virus, God is at work. And that's what we're going to see today. God is the main character in our passage. He's our hero. And as it points out, he's at work. Um, God was doing. So the question is, what I want to look at is, what does it look like when God is doing? We're going to see that it will look much different than we, what we would have scripted which thus reminds us again of how God's ways are not our ways. Because we're going to see things that's like, I would never thought God would have used that or was doing that. Um, but God doesn't always make sense to us at times. But we first we need to identify where Paul is at at this time in his ministry. In Acts 18, it was in Corinth. And now in Acts 19, he's in Ephesus. In fact, in verse 10 of Acts 19, if you look there, it tells us how long he has been there, which says over two years. It says, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, as per Paul's usual method, he first went and reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue. He did this for three months. Look at verse 8 of Acts 19. It says that. It says, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, what is the hall of Tyrannus? Uh, it is literally a hall that Paul rented that belonged to a local philosopher named Tyrannus. I'll call him Tyrannus. Uh, it's... Um, and what Paul was, we know at this time, he was a tent maker. So he would work, his schedule was he'd work the normal hours at this time in this culture was 7 to 11, our time, what we understand. And then from 11 to 4, would, they would take a break or a siesta. Well, at that time, Paul rented this hall and he would go and he would teach there between 11 and 4. And then after that, he would go back to work and then would start the next day the same routine. So he did this six days a week as we learned for over two years. So he was in Ephesus quite a bit of time, and the people heard a lot of his teaching. Um, but there was a need for that because there was a lot to do in Ephesus because of the religious climate that existed in this city. Uh, this city was known for being a center of black magic, uh, cult practices, superstition, sorcery, 
it was prolific here, that there was even a phrase they used back then, um, and they, the phrase they used was called Ephesian writings. And that referred to any documents containing spells and magic formulas. They would use that phrase, oh, this is more Ephesian writings. It was that prolific of the occult that was going on there. So this gives you a picture of what Paul had to deal with. Uh, quite a culture he was put into. So back in verse 11, we'll pick it up again. It says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, I think it's interesting here. Our text says that speaks of extraordinary miracles. Literally, the phrase is, it says, miracles not of the ordinary kind. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a funny way of saying it. Because is there such a thing as ordinary miracles? Um, were miracles so frequent that they broke them down into categories? I was thinking, I imagine two guys walking in the streets of Ephesus, okay? Uh, coming upon each other, they know, they know each other, and they say, hey, how's it going? Good. Uh, how's your day been? Pretty good day. I just had some ordinary miracles in my life. Oh, that, that's pretty cool. What about you? Well, I had some extraordinary miracles. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Uh, I mean, it's just weird. What are extraordinary miracles? Well, it's interesting because it involved two everyday items. It says handkerchiefs and aprons. The word handkerchiefs it could be mis really it's not a proper word there. It really was referring to a, a cloth they'd wrap, Paul would wrap around his head to collect sweat, sweatband. So I brought um, as examples, here's a little sweatband. I'm not going to put one on. Sweatband, it says, and an apron. I, now, the aprons he's talking about here, he was a tent maker. It's probably made of leather. I just brought one of my cooking aprons I like to cook. So here's the everyday items that God was doing extraordinary miracles through, sweatbands and aprons. Now, um, not just any sweatbands or aprons. These are the ones that Paul was using. Uh, now, remember, this is all about God and God doing. Uh, it was God that gave power to the sweatband and the aprons. It wasn't Paul. Paul was just an instrument of God. And I think we need to continually remind ourselves of that, mm. that anything that happens that's good, anything that happens that's, that's awesome, it's God that's doing it, not us. Um, now, it's interesting here. The text doesn't tell us how this came about. It wasn't like, was Paul just messing around and threw a sweatband off and hit someone who wasn't feeling well, and all of a sudden they got healed, saying, wow, check that out. Let's try the apron. Um, we don't know. Uh, but somehow it came about, they figured out that his sweatbands and his aprons had the power of God in them, where they could heal people, where just by touching someone with an evil spirit, the evil spirit would lift them. Um, and never before has this happened. Um, we have in Acts 5, it talks about Peter's shadow, that healed people. Um, but as we learn about God, God has an infinite number of ways of working. And here's just another one of these ways, just this only time in history where we have sweatbands and aprons having the power of God in them. Um, we can't recreate that. It's just what God chooses to do. And that was the, some of the extraordinary miracles that were happening. Well, the word gets out on the streets. The power of God is working. It's working through the servant Paul. And some others want to tap into this power, specifically Jewish exorcists. Now, according to magic theory at that time, exorcists could coerce a spirit to do their will by invoking its name 
and they would use names of higher spirits to cast out lower ones. Okay? So if you understand, these Jewish guys, and we're going to read about a second, figuring out, hey, we want more powerful, more power. So how can we get that? Paul seems to have the power of God, so maybe we can tap into that. So let's pick up at verse 13 when it says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the men in whom who was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So, I love this story here. <laughs> so these seven guys say, hey, we need more power. So, boy, this, what I like is they recognize, you notice they recognize it's Jesus that the power is at. It's not Paul. It says Jesus whom Paul preaches, who teaches. So they understand the powers with Jesus. So they think, okay, let's use this new secret weapon, the name of Jesus. So the seven of them go to confront this demon-possessed man, calling upon the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Um, I think it's pretty good numbers, seven to one. Uh, if this doesn't go right, we'll be okay, they're probably thinking. Um, and then the evil res- spirit responds when they try this method. And he says, hey, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? And then he puts the, puts the hurt on, right? Beats them all up. They run out of the house naked and wounded. Um, I like how uh, one commentary put it. He says, it's like these men had an unfamiliar weapon they were trying to use and it exploded in their hands. Um, They learned firsthand the danger of misusing the name of Jesus, of trying to, they were trying to manipulate God and that just doesn't work. They wanted to use him for their own means and even if they had good motives, even if saying, well, they're trying to cast out an evil spirit, uh, it doesn't say their motives were bad, but even if they were using good motives, they're trying to manipulate God and you just can't do that. This Jesus was working through Paul in powerful ways, uh, but he cannot be manipulated. So I think one of the things we can learn from this, this point here, is that God doesn't work through formulas, but through individuals. Or in rare cases, he may even use objects. Um, God works in an infinite number of ways. We can't box God in. We can't figure him completely out. But we can sometimes try to do that in in Christian circles. Um, What we can tend to do is try to copy, maybe even in the church, other churches where maybe God's doing some amazing things and the church is growing. And and so uh, we analyze that and we try and say, okay, what what is this church doing? And we try to figure out the methods and maybe it's in the methods and you incorporate those methods. And there's nothing wrong from seeing what we can learn from other churches. But the problem becomes if we turn it into a formula. Say, okay, if we do this, this, and this, then, man, God's going to work, and God's going to bless us. Uh, That's not how God works. Um, We can certainly learn, but not manipulate. And before you know it, then all of a sudden we're putting our our faith and trust in uh, a technique Mm -hmm. rather than in God. And and God determines how he's going to work in each church. Each church is unique, comprised of different people, comprised of different leaders. Our goal is not to be the most successful church. 
but to be the church whom God calls us to be. And here at Heritage, it's to be a gospel-centered church that brings glory and honor to God by making disciples of Christ. Um, For example, have you noticed how different each of our pastors are here at Heritage? And I love this about you guys. As I've gotten to know each of you, and they're all here this morning. You can't see them, but they're all here. Um, God has taken different personalities. Aaron is very different from Mitch. Um, and then you have Brent over here on the computer and Jeremy over here, and, and they're all different. And they're comfortable in who they are. I don't see you guys trying to be like, I don't see Aaron trying to be like Mitch or Mitch trying to be like Aaron. Um, you know, maybe they'd like that of each other. Aaron, Aaron like Mitch to clean up his office more, and Mitch would like Aaron to leave some more stuff on his desk. Um, but they're all different, and they're comfortable with that, and they understand their gifts and abilities, and they use them, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, you know, it's funny. I've heard all of you guys preach, and you all have your own unique mannerisms. And I think most of us, if we just made a shadow of the person and just illustrated the mannerisms, you could probably guess who is preaching. I know I could. They all have unique mannerisms. I'm not going to go into them because I don't want these guys to become self-conscious of their mannerisms. But they all have unique features, just like I do. Um, And that's how God made them. And you guys are comfortable with yourselves. And we're so fortunate to have pastors like that who um, are comfortable, secure in who they are, and their giftings. Uh, I love that you guys love your wives and your children. Uh, you're down-to-earth guys. You're not these slick pastor types that w- pastors can be. Um, and I'm so thankful for that. And we are blessed here at Heritage to have these pastors here. And as we pray for the new lead pastor, boy, one of the things I know I'm praying for, I'm sure you're praying for too, is that he will be a team player that he'll be comfortable with who he is, that he'll understand what a blessing it is to have these different guys and their different giftings and to work together as a team. Boy, that's what I'm praying for. And I encourage you to join me in that prayer as well. So we see here, we pick out, um, you know, as we look from that, we also see how that's how God is too. That's how Jesus was. Think about it. When Jesus uh, picked his disciples, he didn't pick 12 Peters. I mean, you think, Peter got a lot of stuff done. Maybe he should have got 12 guys just like Peter. No, he didn't do that. He didn't pick out, you imagine if they had 12 Peters, how would anyone ever get a word in? Uh, Or what about 12 Johns? Uh, You just say, you know, God's loving and and tender and uh, real quiet. Um, You know, each disciple is different. And God has made each of us different. And we need to embrace that, our personalities, our mannerisms, to know that God will use us. And he wants to use us how he made us and to find security in that. So back to our story. As a result of their great idea backfiring on them, them, they are now walking visual testimonies of what happens when you misuse the name of Jesus. So can you imagine in Ephesus, you got these seven guys walking around and say, oh my goodness, what happened to him? He's got bandages, he's got bruises, eyes are swollen shut. I said, oh. He misused the name of Jesus, trying to cast out this evil spirit, and the evil spirit heard him beat him all up. And um, so they got these seven guys walking around as testimonies about don't misuse the name of God. And as a result of that, what happens is God uses this to create a fear of God 
among the people and a great reverence for him. Look at verse 17. And this became known about the men getting beaten up to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It's interesting here. The fear of God brought about a cleansing among the believers, a repentance from sin, created a desire to want to be more holy. It tells us here that some of the believers still had some magic books, they, and they came forward and they burned them in front of others. I figured out the estimate value uh, on today's value, money would be over $10 million worth of items that they burned up. Now, there's several things I want us to take note of here of this. First, there were believers who still had stuff in their homes that wasn't right. Now, we, we can look at that saying, wow, they're believers. How could they still have books on magic? Uh, how come when, when you come to the Lord of the Lord, don't you get rid of all that stuff? No, not necessarily. I mean, do any of us have pure lives? Do any of us can say, boy, there's nothing in my life, there's nothing anywhere in me or in my home or on my phone that uh, is not glorifying and honoring to God? Uh, we're not perfect. We haven't arrived. We're still in the process of sanctification. And um, with this fear of God coming upon the people, those that had some of these items recognize that this isn't right. Now, the one thing they could have done said, man, this stuff is worth a lot. Let's sell it to those who are still in it. Um, no, they didn't do that. They said, no, we're just going to burn it. We're not going to let anyone use this stuff. Uh, and um, the fear of God caused them to, to cleanse themselves of these issues. Secondly, I want us to see what led the people to repentance. And this, I feel, is so important um, that we don't miss this. So now is the time to focus. If you've been drifting uh, and not miss this point, if, you, if you're in your bed, maybe sit up a little, change your pillow, get a, uh, okay, I need to wake up a little. If you're eating, maybe time to put that fork down because um, I want you to catch and not miss what is it that really led these people to repentance. Um, what helps us to want to pursue holiness? What causes us to say, you know, I need to stop doing that. That really isn't honoring to God. That really doesn't bring glory to Him. Now the answer is found in God. In God alone. You see, what happened here in Ephesus is that the believers who already knew God as a result of hearing the teachings of Paul, of God moving in their hearts and drawing them to him, um, they knew who they believed in. But as a result of, of these men getting beaten up by the evil spirit, what happened is they got to see a little clearer picture of the holiness of God, of how pure God is, on how powerful is that he cannot be manipulated something clicked where all of a sudden a perspective where if you were to ask them do you know god is holy do you know his power oh yeah yeah i know that and it's one thing isn't it to say oh yeah i know that here but it's another do i really know it here 
And as a result of this happening with these men, all of a sudden it became a little more real to them. And they said, whoa, I'm starting to see a little clearer how great my God is and how it's wrong for me to have these books, even though I'm not accessing them, even though I'm not using them anymore, to have them in my home. And I need to burn them. So what motivated them was God. A clear picture of God moved them to clean house and repent. The desire for purity, the desire to live a more holy life comes from knowing God better, of seeing Him more clearly in our hearts, um, of understanding who He is, where it's personal to you and it's real. Um, Think about this. The clearer picture we have of who our God is, the more it will motivate us and move us in our lives. I mean, if God were to appear right here, right now, we would be changed. And all of a sudden, we'd say, whoa, 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 okay, I, I need to do some things. I wonder if, if that were to happen, what would we be throwing into the burn pile? Um, that is what we need. You see, the mistake we can make with this in, in desiring to be holy and desiring to be, to be more like Jesus, the mistake we can made is, make is to focus on behavior. And say, okay, what do I need to stop doing? Or, or what do I need to start doing? And our focus becomes that action. And there's no power in that action. The power is in God. So where our focus needs to be is, God, I need more of you. I need to see you more clearly. I need to understand what it means that you're holy. What it means that you're all-powerful. What it means that you're sovereign, that you're gracious, that you're loving. What does that really mean? What does that really look like? Because if, if God opens our eyes to see him more clearly, we will be moved to live a more holy life. You know, the gospel, our salvation, is because God wanted a relationship, wants a relationship with us. He sent his only begotten son to take on our sin, to die on that cross, rose from the grave three days later, proving he conquered death, that salvation and forgiveness is found in him. And God did all that because he wants a relationship with us. And in God wanting a relationship with us, it's just not so we can be in heaven, but it's so that we can know him. He, he wants us to know him. And that's why he's given us the word. So we can read it and we can learn about him and make it personal. And that's what we need to do. Um, and that's what happened here in Ephesus. In just a small way, in just this small little way, look how it moved the people. And so as we were praying, I said, God, God, show me more of yourself. If he moves just in a little, it will affect our lives. Now, what's interesting here, we can say, well, how do I get to know him better? Well, I need to read my Bible more. I I need to pray more. See, and those are, um, we like that. Those are uh, measurable things, right? Okay, I I read my Bible, I check that off. I I pray more, I check that off. I I go to church more, I I check that off. Um, And that sounds good, but that's not what their focus needs to be. See, the difference is, if I say my desire is I want to know God, 
then my Bible reading changes from, okay, I just need to read my Bible today because that's what I'm supposed to do. No, it's like, I want to get to know God today. So I'm going to open up my Bible. And I'm opening up my Bible to get to know God, not so I can say I read my Bible today. Huge difference, a huge difference. And, and I'm praying today, not because I should pray, but because I want to talk with my God. And I want to give him opportunity to talk to me and maybe motivate me or change me or communicate something to me. Totally different focus. You see, and, and when I look at that, it, I'm much, the way we're designed is, yeah, I'd rather just check things off. Say, yeah, I did this. The harder question is, am I really getting to know God better? Man, that's a question that challenges me. When I look at my life, do I know God better today than I did just a few days ago? Or let's even go back a year. Do I know him better? Um, I know a lot about God. So if you just break down any part of God, let's say his grace, how well do I understand the grace of God? Is there more I can understand? Yeah. And, and so if I start asking that question, not did I read my Bible today, did I pray today, but am I getting to know God better today? Oof. That's challenging. And, and that's where our focus needs to be. Because it really is about a relationship. God wants a relationship with us. He wants us to know him. He knows us completely. And he can help us to know ourselves better as well. But isn't it awesome that this all-powerful, sovereign God wants to be known? And it will impact our lives the more we get to know him. So, now from here, we're going to go to a different story. And just to review real quickly here, God was doing. What was God doing? He was doing amazing things in people's lives. He was doing miracles. And what was he using? He was using sweatbands and aprons. <laughs> he used Jewish exorcists and evil spirits to do his will and to accomplish things. Now we're going to see who he uses in this account in Ephesus. Um, I'm just going to read all the way from 21 to the end of the chapter, so then I can just hit some of the high points after I read it. So let's pick up in verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. This is also the first time he mentions going to Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion and rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs 
who were friends of his, sent to him, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, why is there, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For if you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers, blasphemers of our goddess, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when they had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Okay, so here we have, we're going to cruise through this uh, passage here. I like how in verse 23, uh, it says there, were, there arose no little disturbance. And then in verse 24, it says um, of Artemis who made silver shrines, uh, Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis, he brought no little business to the craftsmen. No little means huge, okay? Um, no little disturbance. This was a huge disturbance that took place. Um, the theater seats 25,000 people. So they're thinking this theater could have been full. There may have been that many people because as they were going through the main, probably the main street, sharding great as Artemis, people wondered what's going on. They gathered the crowd and they all filled the theater. So it's a huge disturbance. So when Demetrius says, hey, we've made, he's gathered all his craftsmen together. He's trying to rally them. And he's obviously a very good motivational speaker because he <laughs> rallies the whole city. Um, he says, hey, we know that this Artemis brings in no little business. It means, hey, we're rich because of Artemis and, and this religious practice. So he addresses that. And he talks about there being no little business, uh, big things happening here. And then he goes on and he says, um, men, you know, in verse 25, that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here, verse 26, that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. I'm going to take note here. Demetrius is a sharp guy. He's a visionary, he's a businessman, he's got his eyes set ahead, and he sees what's coming. Paul's been there for two years. People have come to faith by hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message. And Demetrius knows and has seen that as a result of people coming to faith, all of a sudden they're not following, they're not giving to Artemis anymore. They're recognizing, and he sees that they see Artemis is just... Uh, an idol and has no power and is not worthy of anything. So Demetrius recognizes this and says, if this continues, I'm going to be in trouble. I think he's really motivated just out of his own selfishness, wanting to be rich and continued in that. And he sees that this continues, we're in trouble. My business is in trouble, so I need to do something about it. So that's what he's trying to do here. 
But he also recognizes that people who come to faith recognize that idols are nothing. I think of in Psalm 135, listen to what it says there about idols. This is Psalm 135, 15 through 18. It says this, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. That's Psalm 135, 15 through 18. There's no value in idols, no power in idols. And Demetrius recognizes that that's what's happening. These people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So he wants to get the guys riled up. He wants to deal with this. But he recognizes he needs to focus not just on the money, but let's focus on Artemis. That, because this is the identity of our city. Um, you know, it's interesting uh, this goddess Artemis, who is she? She was a fertility goddess. Her temple in Ephesus was about one and a half miles outside of the town. It was 400 feet by 200 feet. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, it was surrounded by all sorts of tradesmen and hucksters who made their living by supplying visitors with food and lodging and offerings and souvenirs. Uh, the temple interestingly enough, was also a major treasure and bank of the ancient world where merchants, merchants and kings and even cities made deposits and where their money could be kept safe under the protection of this deity. So Artemis brought in a huge amount of money and it was a huge identity for the people of Ephesus. So Demetrius taps into this and that's what he does in verse 27 saying, hey, what happens? This could affect the great goddess Artemis. We may be count, she may be counted as nothing. She may be even be deposed from her magnificence. Um, and he goes on, uh, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Well, that's what they need to hear. And he gets them fired up beyond his wildest dreams. And it says that they are enraged in verse 28. I mean, they are fired up. They are angry. And so they start shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Um, and so, and then they're, they're walking to the theater and they're gathering people are joining them and getting caught up in the fervency of this thing. And they, they get Gaius and Aristarchus, companions of Paul, and they grab them because, you know, they're companions, so they're responsible for this and they're give, giving trouble into our city. And so they haul them into the theater. Hmm. Now, knowing who Paul is, uh, he's ready to jump right in. He wants, hey man, I want to go. Let me go and, and deal with this. Um, but his disciples, recognizing that this is not what you want to go into, stop him. Um, this is really a mob, as we saw, as we read, that people were confused, as we saw later. Uh, they didn't know what was really going on. Uh, I like what Ben Franklin, I read a quote about what Ben Franklin says about a mob. He said, a mob is a crowd that has many heads but no brain. Um, and, and that's what we have here. And what I, what I really like here in this passage, in this, what's happening here is, here's Paul. Paul's the guy who's the leader. He's the one who's used to calling all the shots. And here he is, he's calling the shot. Hey, I'm going to go into the theater. I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to save Gaius and, and Aristarchus. But the disciples say, no, Paul, we're not going to let you go in there. It's not safe. And other friends say this as well. And what I would like here is in the importance of that leadership is not just one person. There's a team it's important to have a leadership team. And that's what Paul had. 
Um, because if it's just one guy calling all the shots and not accountable to anyone, Paul would have just gone in there, and who knows what would have happened. Um, but because he had a team, people he respected and listened to, they were the voice of reason for Paul. Uh, Paul was ready to go, but they said, no, this isn't the right thing to do. And, and that's what I, I value here at Heritage. We have a leadership team. And you guys listen to each other. And each of you have different perspectives. And there's value in that. And we need that. Um, and that's what Paul had. And so as a result of listening to the other men, he doesn't go in. Um, then, then the Jews bring forth Alexander. Why do they do that? Well, the Jews are concerned that they're going to be thrown into this mix with Paul thinking because Paul's a Jew man we're going to be thrown in they want to identify no no we're not responsible for this Paul's on his own Um, well as soon as they find out that he's a Jew uh, they know that Jews have their God and and so they go into a real frenzy look what it says there in verse 34 now can you imagine this 25,000 people in this theater two hours straight they cry out with one voice great is Artemis of the Ephesians when I looked at this I thought about this would make Seattle Seahawks fans jealous. <laughs> I mean, they're known for having the great crowd, right? Man, if they said, man, we, if we had fervency like this, this would be awesome. Um, that's what's going on here. Two hours of this. So who's going to save the day? Who's going to save Gaius and Aristarchus? Who is God going to use? You're never going to guess. It. He's going to use a politician. The town clerk. Verse 35. Not saying this is a, a believer at all. He's just the, uh, the politician. Um, it, it's interesting here that um, the city clerk was the one who was in charge of knowing the rules of the city and making sure that they follow the rules. Because if they get out of line, remember he says we don't want to be charged with a riot. If they were charged with a riot, then the Rome would come in and clamp down on the city and take away many of the privileges and rights of the people. And so the city, the town clerk was in charge of knowing what the rules are and making sure we, they don't break the rules. So he is the one who jumps in here and addresses the crowd and quiets them down. And what I want us to look at uh, is verse 36 and verse 37. Look what it says. It says, seeing then that these things cannot be denied. He's talking about that Artemis is great and that's who we are about I can't deny that. He says, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. He just wants to make sure they don't get in trouble, the city. There's verse 37. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Now, we need to think about this for a moment. How much has Paul been teaching here? Remember, two years, five hours a day, six days a week, and not once did Paul attack the goddess Artemis. Believe me, if he would have made one comment saying, you know, this Artemis is a joke. This is just an idol. What are you wasting your time? Believe me, that would have been brought up here and said, yeah, he has been picking on her. He has been putting Artemis down. Not once in two years. You may think, well, why didn't he do an Elijah move? Why didn't he do like Elijah did and call the prophets of Baal all together? Call all these followers of Artemis together. Let's have a showdown. Let's see whose God is truly God. Why didn't he do like an Elijah did? Elijah did. Because God does different things at different times. There's only been one Elijah with the prophets of Baal. Uh, it's never been repeated again. See, it's not a formula. God, that's not how God works. 
God's using here a politician instead. Um, so we have Paul, who never said anything against Artemis. It's like, how could he do that? It's, they're surrounded. Why didn't he address this? The reason is Paul kept the main thing the main thing. Paul was about Jesus, was about proclaiming the gospel, not about bashing other idols or other things that are worthless because they're not worth the time. It's interesting. I became a follower of Christ just before college. I got involved in a Christian group on campus there at Portland State. It was just a local group. It wasn't affiliated with anything. They're probably not even around anymore. And um, as I was involved in this group, I've just known the Lord not very long. Something started bothering me about the group. I noticed they would put other faiths or other practices down. Um, back, this was back in the early 80s. Harry Krishna was a big thing back then. Uh, and they would pick on them and make fun of them. And, and, I, and it bothered me. It's like, why are we doing that? They can do what they want. Why, why do we have to bash them? I don't th and I thought, even in my young faith, I thought, I, I don't see Jesus doing that. Uh, he loved people. He cared about them. He didn't put them down. And so that really bothered me. Um, and you see, that's, Paul doesn't do that either. Paul doesn't put down the followers of Artemis. He doesn't have to. He's here to lift up Jesus. That's what we need to do. Uh, I so appreciate this church heritage. I don't hear from the pulpit bashing uh, of other faiths or other churches or uh, uh, cults or whatever. We don't need to do that. What we need to do is lift up Jesus. Who is Jesus? What has he done for us? What does it mean to believe in him? What does it mean to have eternal life? What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be forgiven? What does it mean that he died in our place on the cross? What does the cross mean? Um, that's what we focus on. That's what Paul focused on. And as a result, no charges could be brought against Paul. Because if he didn't do that, believe me, they would have brought this up. And then it would have been real chaos going over, uh, happening here. So that's what Paul focused on, and that's what we need to focus on. And as a result... Uh, the town clerk, we don't even know his name, is able to quiet the crowd down, is able to dismiss the crowd. Gaius and Aristarchus are released and set free. Um, so we, we look at this account here. There's lots of news today, every day, articles upon articles about the coronavirus. Uh, that's what's happening today. Um, we need to understand, even amidst all this news going on, that God is still doing today. God is at work. God's using the coronavirus to accomplish his will. We need to know that. As Jeremy talked about, look for opportunities, the fear that in people, um, the opportunities God may give us to talk with people, maybe online since we have to social distance, um, communicating things, what God is showing us. But what we need to present is Jesus to people. Um, highlight what it means to be in a relationship with him, what he means to us. I remember years ago when we lived in the youth house, I had, we had a plumber come and had to do some repair work, and, and it was quite a few years ago, and I was pretty zealous about, hey, I need to share with this guy. And so we get into a discussion that turns into kind of a debate, and I'm debating the plumber about things, and um, I defeat every one of his arguments. Oh, I've just buried the guy. And I was feeling, yeah, yeah, that, what are you going to do now? And you know what happened as a result of that? 
The guy didn't want to talk to me, didn't want anything to do with me. And afterwards, I thought, boy, that really went well. I got some guy who doesn't want anything to do with me now. And, and it was at that point, I said, what am I doing? Is my purpose to shame people, to make them feel stupid, to show how I'm smarter than them? Or is my purpose to show them Jesus and let them know it's about a relationship? And from that point on, I changed how I communicate with people. And I started sharing about who Jesus is, about, do you know you can have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know what, the, what it means to be a, a, a Christian? And I just point out from the word what Jesus did for us. And all of a sudden, I, I, don't, I, don't, I never had any arguments with people ever again. And I had people start saying, I, I never understood that before, that it's about a relationship. That's what it's about. So when we look at Acts 19 here, to summarize, <laughs> Acts, which is Acts of the Apostles, right? And yet, the Apostles have no real part in this section of Scripture. God is doing, and what is God, who and what is God doing it? What is He doing? He is using sweatbands. He's using aprons. He uses Jewish exorcists. He uses an evil spirit. He uses a politician to accomplish his will. The question for us, do you think he wants to use you? You may think I'm just like a sweatband. All I do is work night and day. We say, well, now I'm not working, so now I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but you know what? The mistake we make is thinking Paul only, God only uses people like Paul. Uh, no, he even used an apron. God wants to use us who we are, with how we're wired. And so I want to encourage us to, to look for those opportunities. He used so many different things here in Acts 19, and he wants to use you and me in this day and age. Are we open for that? Are we willing to be used of him? And if we are, then he will use us. And to me, that's so encouraging. And we need to know, amidst all that's going on today, that God is still doing he hasn't stopped. He's probably doing more now than he ever has before because of this heightened awareness people have of life and death. And he wants to use you and he wants to use me just in who we are and how he has made us. Are you willing? Are you open for that? I hope you are. These are challenging times, but I think they're also exciting times because God is doing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are God of all, that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you knew the coronavirus would come, you knew what the effect it would have on this world. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here that we will not doubt who you are. Lord, I pray that as we saw a greater understanding of you brought a, a fear and a cleansing of the people of yours. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open to seeing more of you. Help us understand it's about knowing you more, not about formulas, that you're still at work. And help, it, help us to be about just growing that relationship with you, looking for the opportunities you want to give us because you are still doing today. Thank you that you can use whatever you want from sweatbands to politicians, from Jewish exorcists to evil spirits. Lord, I just imagine what you can do with children of yours who are willing to say, okay, God, I don't know what it's going to look like, especially all that's going on now, but use me because you are still doing today. Thank you, God. And we give you all the praise and the glory. And it's in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Thank you so much, Don. Really yeah. appreciate that word. And just as you just as you shared, as Mitch comes up and gets ready to close us out and worship, I think it's a great opportunity for us to to respond, even in the midst of our of your own home, to take a take some time as a family to share what what are those things that you see God doing and actively working in our world, in our church, in our community, in right there in your own living room. What are those things that God are, is doing um, to actively use sometimes seemingly insignificant things like sweatbands? Uh, if he can use a sweatband, man, he can use me. Um, let's be looking for those opportunities. And if I can encourage you guys just to engage with each other uh, in your own home, to engage each other even via posting on social media uh, or on the Facebook uh, and YouTube links, uh, just to share some encouraging ways that you see God moving and working even right now in the midst of this um, would be would be really, really encouraged. So will you do that? Will you engage with your church family in that way? Um, I think we'll all find encouragement in that uh, as I find so much encouragement in this story. Um, being surrounded by other leaders and friends who love us and who are looking out for us and the ways that God works even in the midst of um, trying and difficult times. So thank you guys so much for, for being here. Yeah. Uh, any closing closing words or last thoughts? I, I just love this passage of Scripture just to see how God uh, was working in so many different ways. And to me it's encouraging in these times that we're in and uh, as you said, I, I want to look to see how God's working. So, Awesome. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Make sure to close your eyes at home because the three of us are going to get up while Mitch leads in worship. But let's, uh, let's, let's pray and close in prayer, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word and for how it is um, alive and active Thank you for these stories, Lord, um, with Paul here, just seeing you move and work in ways that um, we wouldn't expect. Thank you that you are alive and you are powerful and you are moving and you are involved in all of it. Jesus, we just love you so much. We thank you again for this morning and for the opportunity we have to hear your word, uh, even from the comfort of our own home. So we just ask, Lord, that you would continue to be glorified and lifted up as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name.